I think I know when I went through my alopecia, for some reason, I kind of felt responsible for it. So we're managing many different, very hard emotions, fear, sadness, shame, angry. I was very angry for uh, many, many days. I was just angry that this was happening to me. And so we're struggling with these emotions that are sort of, in some cases, in many days, sort of taking over our well-being. Hello, everyone. This is the Alopecia Project, the podcast that explores the world of alopecia. On today's show, we're speaking with Allison Collison, a clinical social worker who's worked with patients with alopecia and who has the condition herself. Allison spoke to Sarah and I about her practice, her own alopecia journey, and discusses different well-being exercises to cope with hair loss. Allison, it's so great to have you on the show today. We're really, really excited to have you here to talk about mental health and alopecia and your story with alopecia. I'm really excited to kind of get this interview going. So why don't you uh, take it off and tell us a little bit more about you? Thank you, Sarah. My name's Allison, and I am a clinical social worker. One of the uh, reasons why I think you, Sarah, you both uh, invited me onto the show is that one, because I'm a clinical social worker and also I have alopecia myself. Clinical social worker just means that I work directly with people who are struggling with all sorts of adversity in their life. I used to work in North York General in the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Outpatient Clinic, where I supported children and adolescents and their families dealing with all sorts of mental health concerns. And uh, now I am in my own private practice where I'm fortunate enough to work with some many, many, many wonderful people who are struggling with life and some of the hardships with life. I am involved with the CANAF and alopecia because 12 years ago, I experienced alopecia myself. And so I do work with some people that are managing living with alopecia. And I also, as well as many other issues. And that's why I think I can sort of talk pretty directly around mental health and in relation to alopecia and some of the concerns and and issues that we're faced with. I'm I'm 55 now and I first had alopecia very in a very minor form when I was a teenager. I found a bald spot and to be honest I can't really remember I remember not liking it, but I but it very quickly my hair grew in and then I had nothing for many, many years. Actually even forgotten that that had happened to me as a teenager. And then uh when I was in my 40s, I found a bald patch and within two years I'd lost all my hair all over my body. So I have alopecia universalis. So it's been about 10 years that I've been living um as a bald, hairless person. You know, it's really interesting because a lot of the people that we've kind of spoken to uh, through this podcast 
have had alopecia in different stages in their life. I think we have quite a few people who started as a teenager and then a lot of people who got it in their 20s or 30s and somebody like you who's gotten it a bit later in life. How do you think that has uh, impacted your life now um, as you're doing the clinical social work and, you know, just kind of your day to day? Well, I think that in my work generally, uh, it has really helped me uh, be a better social worker. I had experienced loss and hardships prior to having alopecia. But when we go through hard things, all of us, I think it helps us be human. I think it helps us relate to other people. I think it helps us be compassionate and kind to people. So I think personally, it has helped me. Well, it's certainly built resilience in me, but it's also helped me be probably a deeper social worker than I was prior to that. I think I can, because I really understand what loss feels like, and I really understand what adversity feels like. And I really understand how hard it is to not be able to control something very significant in your life. I have children in my practice and I have young adults in my practice and some one or two older people. Even though these people are in different ages and stages of their lives, there's a very, there's a common thread when when I'm working with people with alopecia, and what we're really talking about is we're talking about loss. And it's a very different type of loss. You know, when our dog passes away or somebody who we love passes away, it's a very significant hard loss. But when we're dealing with alopecia, we're actually trying to manage a loss of ourself because we're losing something that's very significant to our identity and the way that we live our lives. So we almost have to redefine ourselves in a, in a different way. I'm not sure if I'm describing it properly, but it's, it's, it's a loss in ourselves. It's a loss of freedom. It's a loss of identity. Now, what I've experienced myself and also with people who I work with alopecia once we're on the other side, once we've lost our hair or we've 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 come to terms with it, we get that identity back and we get our freedom back and it's not such a problem or it's not such an adversity. But I I feel that's what people with alopecia are really dealing with. And I think it's particularly hard for people who who lose their hair and then it grows back or they lose lose it in different ways because they're constantly having to adapt to what it feels like this way and what it feels like that way and we're all dealing with and we're all managing a lack a lack of predictability um and so when we're constantly trying to adapt our emotions that's difficult and challenging and hard yeah I absolutely. Um, you touched upon a really interesting theme, um, which is identity and kind of regaining that and how that's going to take you to the next step in dealing with your alopecia. But I guess 
my question is more about getting to that identity a realization phase. Are there people or are there things that people who have alopecia um, tend to struggle with when it comes to mental health and, you know, regaining that uh, sense of purpose and identity once they've, they've encountered such a uh, personal loss? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of, well, I think when people start their journey of alopecia. So they first have a diagnosis of alopecia. The first emotion that we, I think we all feel, feel is fear. Uh, what is going on and what's this, what's this like? And what's this, what's this going to be like? And we know with alopecia, it's unpredictable. There are some treatments we can, we can use. Um, but, you know, our dermatologists and the specialists will say that there is no trajectory of what this is going to look like. So it looks like it's very different for different people. So I think fear is one of the first primary emotions that we feel because it is very, very scary. Um, I think other emotions we feel is sadness and um Shame is another emotion that we would feel um, because what I think I know when I went through my alopecia, for some reason, I kind of felt responsible for it. So we're managing many different, very hard emotions, fear, sadness, shame, angry. I was very angry for uh, many, many days, I was just angry that this was happening to me. And so we're struggling with these emotions that are sort of, in some cases, in many days, sort of taking over our well-being. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, Sarah, but I fear is, 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 a, is a very big emotion around, around dealing with uh, alopecia. Um, how do you help them overcome that fear? Um, well, I think I'm not sure there is overcoming. I'm not sure we do overcome it, but what we, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I think one of the main things that managing alopecia, we really need to be validated that these emotions that we're feeling are very normal and actually uh, a healthy thing. Sounds a bit strange for me to say that, but, you know, fear and sadness when you're losing your hair is very normal and it's very expected. And it actually means that you're, you know, a healthy human being uh, because we can't go through this without feeling very strong emotions. So one thing I think that we all need to feel is that what we're feeling is very normal. So that that validation takes away some fear just knowing that this is this is a normal healthy thing for you to be feeling. I think that generally when we are dealing with alopecia we are doing sort of two different processes at one time. We are 
really acknowledging what we're going through is very, very difficult. And acknowledging that the emotions that we're feeling are very um, significant and normal and almost having self-compassion for ourselves. So letting ourselves feel it and letting ourselves kind of off the hook in terms of feeling that, that it's normal to feel angry and sad and fearful. And then we're also trying to flip out of that and we're trying to be grateful for what we can do and what we do have. So we're doing these two different processes in order to to manage. So I think that is helpful in terms of trying to pass these hard emotions by one, being compassionate with ourselves and acknowledging that it's extremely difficult. And on the flip side, saying to our self-talk in terms of, but what can I do and what do I have? And really acknowledging and being grateful for what we do have in our lives. We have friends, we have family, we have pets, we have jobs, whatever we can look at and say, I'm so grateful for this. I think that helps try to balance it out because most of us have something we can be grateful for. I think we are conditioned to believe that being strong means that we are always putting on a brave face and always, you know, being tough and fighting through stuff. And actually, the true meaning of vulnerability is acknowledging and sharing and showing the hardships that we're going through. That's being vulnerable is really admitting that we're human and that we're scared and that we're sad. And that's the true meaning of strength, you know, that we can show our vulnerability and be compassionate to our vulnerability, ours and other people. And that's, that's a, nobody likes to feel vulnerable. That's, that's a human conditioning. But when we learn to be vulnerable and learn to show our vulnerability, our vulnerability, it is actually liberating and it feels really good um, because all humans are managing adversity and difficulties in their life, as well as we're managing and experiencing joy and happiness and gratitude. It's not possible to be human and not experience both ends of the spectrum, or at least I'm not, I don't know anybody who's, who's, who's managed to do that. So acknowledging how very difficult and vulnerable this really makes us feel um, and sharing it with others is the true strength and resiliency and ultimately helps us get support um, from those who are around us. I love it when you talk about vulnerability. It's it's one of my favorite topics and themes to talk about when it comes to having alopecia and you know just kind of embracing life in general. Um, I, personally, I can speak from my experience. It it did not come quickly. I was first diagnosed as as many of the listeners know by now when I was eleven, and then I you know went through different 
periods of treatment and, and different um, uh, avenues to get my hair back. And when I was 17, I had a full regrowth. And um, from 17 to the age of 24, totally fine, all of my hair. And, and you know, when you're young, you're experiencing it differently. And that sense of vulnerability and identity is very different from when I was 24 and I lost all my hair again. I personally felt a little bit stronger and more courageous about having this condition and wanting to be able to do something to give back to the community, whether it be going to a CANAF support group. I think actually, um, uh, Allison, you and I had met at a at a CANAF support group. Um, I had gone, I believe you were leading one of those uh, coffee and circle um sessions and and it was amazing to hear the different stories that come out of that and the different kind of journeys of vulnerability that people go through. I think that leads Sarah to sort of a a topic about sharing, um sharing our vulnerability. And the wonderful thing about sharing is that by sharing our stories and our adversity and what we're feeling it lifts some of the shame that alopecia can make us feel. Uh, many people, myself included, are when they're first diagnosed or as they're going through their journey, they feel a lot of shame around why this is happening and are they responsible and now they are different from other people. And shame thrives on secrecy. So when we're trying to keep something hidden from other people or trying to manage things alone, shame is is just flourishing within us. So I I encourage people to share their stories and how they're feeling with with other people and I'm not I'm not suggesting that we all have to be out there telling the community making loud proclamations, but I am suggesting that talking about it and sharing uh, with a friend or a a parent or somebody else who has alopecia really helps lift the shame within us and ultimately leads to a, a very healing place. I think that brings up a really interesting question. Um, a lot of people have issues having that initial conversation and saying, I have alopecia uh, to whomever. It might be their parents. It might be their kids. It might be their friends. How do you kind of um, encourage people to go about having that conversation and, and getting that shame off of their shoulders? Well, I think firstly, we acknowledge that uh, it's, it's, it's normal not to want to say this. And from my own experience, when I was when I was in those early years of having alopecia, keeping in mind that we're dealing with something that is completely out of our control. So we like to control certain aspects around this. So one of the things that I found was initially I didn't want to tell people because I didn't want to have a conversation about it, or I didn't want it to be central to what was what was happening in the room. I wanted to 
escape it and ignore it. So for a long time, I didn't tell people because it was part of my coping strategy that I could essentially at home, I was sort of, you know, in in the middle of this alopecia hell, to be honest. And then I could go out and, you know, I would cover up my, my bald patches and my, I would draw on my eyebrows and I would try to forget. So, so it is a coping strategy not to tell people, but eventually we, we can't keep that up. And so we have to start letting it out. And it's very difficult to, to say I have alopecia. So I, I think that first of all, perhaps not necessarily planning to tell somebody, but waiting for that sort of organic moment where it feels right with the right person to, to just kind of say, I I, want to share something with you. This is, this is what I'm struggling with. And to really obviously think about, you know, who that might be. And um, that's why a lot of people choose to perhaps come to see a therapist or come to see somebody who has nothing to do with their personal life and share their story and share their their feelings with somebody who, you know, is not close to them, that they don't have to see in the external world. Um, Some people choose to do that. Some people might choose to come to a support group or uh, talk to somebody in CANAF or at least reach out to somebody. Uh, There's... There's different forums that we can we can uh, talk to people about alopecia, and then there's our personal world. Maybe there is somebody who we can uh, talk to, but it's you know it happens to different people at different times. But generally, I feel that sharing with people and sharing with our friends and family what's going on for us is really helpful. When we share, then we realize that we're we're also not alone. Particularly if we're if we're if we're sharing with other people who have experienced alopecia or other people who are experiencing difficulties in their lives. Um, it might not be alopecia, but they're but they're experiencing hardships of one 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 sort or another. Yeah, I think I think everybody experiences all different types of hardships. Um, those who have alopecia experience it in a different way. Um, but I think what all everybody needs to do is kind of practice that self-care um, methodology and routine. Do you have any advice, uh, Allison, for people who want to take care of themselves a little bit more um, and, and kind of to help them embrace the difficulties that they're facing? Yeah. I mean, so, so self-care really means what do I need to look after me, look after myself? And, you know, there's obvious, obvious uh, self-care practices that we all should be engaging in, which is the regular, you know, Am I eating properly? Am I doing a little bit of exercise? Am I getting out? Am I do I have do I have things, hobbies, and um, passions that I'm that I'm interested in? What do I need? Um, what people in my life are helpful 
So really looking at who who's it who do I feel comfortable with and who do I not feel comfortable with and being okay sort of separating those two pieces out. Um, other self-care practices are, you know, being okay with having the days where we're not up to going out with people or we want to spend time alone and being sort of acknowledging that that's okay. And other self-care practices might be, no, I know that it's really, really good for me to go out right now. So I'm going to force myself to do this. So it's really, I, I also look at it as sort of like parenting yourself. So what What's the best thing for me? What is the right thing for, I don't really feel like going out for a walk, but is this a, is this a time where I probably should push myself to go out? Um, self-care is also about knowing, is it, should I go and see a professional? Should I go and see a doctor? I know when I first had alopecia, I did go to my doctor and I did ask for some medication to help me with my, um, anxiety around alopecia. I was having panic episodes and I knew that what I was feeling was above my realm of, managing it. So I was trying to do everything I could to 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 keep myself calm and and regulated, but it was it was above what I what I could manage. Um I started trying to meditate and meditation is another thing that I would highly highly recommend people uh begin to learn to practice. There's lots of wonderful um you know apps now for meditation. It's a very helpful thing in terms of uh, trying to regulate our emotions. Um, but I also think it's also okay to go to a doctor and say, I'm really struggling with this and what can you give me to help me? And I'm not a medication pusher necessarily, but I also, um, I also know that it helped me tremendously during a really difficult time in my life. And I was on anti-anxiety medications for a couple of years. And then when I felt more balanced, I, I was able to come off them. So I, I'm definitely somebody who believes that there's a place for medication to help us if we need it. And that's okay. Everybody has to do what is, what is right for them. It's so funny to hear you mention meditation and mindfulness because I actually just took a course in this recently for the exact reason of wanting to um, help myself figure out some strategies to deal with the stress and anxiety that I was experiencing because of my alopecia. And I was totally a non-believer in that process and I didn't really know if it was for me, but I can definitely say that um, it really has helped me and it's helped me learn um, a lot of ways to kind of always zoom out, almost zoom out from my emotions a little bit and um, experience them for what they are instead of always having to feel them really strongly, if that makes sense. Um, and that, that has given me certainly a coping strategy for dealing with the stress of alopecia. So um, I can totally advocate for that if anyone is interested in learning about that. Um, even if you're a non-believer like me, there is certainly some value. That's wonderful that you... Um, have have sort of found the world of of meditation, and I have fairly recently too. And I'm certainly not an expert in meditating, but 
when we are managing um, high emotions or we're, we're, all, we're trying to regulate, we're trying to balance our bodies and our minds, and meditation is a way that we can breathe, first of all, and regulate and pay attention to our breathing, but it's a very helpful way to silence and still our bodies and our minds. And so a lot of times we have an expectation that we have to meditate for long periods of time and get really good at it, but it just takes, it takes, you know, practice and starting off slowly, a few minutes, just breathing and paying attention to our breathing and working up. But there's really helpful apps and courses that we can, that we can, that we can look at. I really encourage it for everyone. Yeah, I know one. The app that I used was called Headspace. So if you're looking for an app to help you do this, Headspace is a good one that works really well. That's really cool. I've always tried to meditate um, in you know different areas of my life about very different things. I've always wondered, and and maybe the two of you can can talk about this a little bit. What is the goal of meditation? Is there an end result that? you uh, you want to come up with is is there a specific objective i think the goal to to meditation i mean there's a there's a goal while you're meditating and then there's a goal you know outside of you know meditating but the goal when you're meditating is to try to get to a space where we're conscious so we're awake but we're totally relaxed our minds have our minds have sort of uh, stopped. So that's the goal when you're meditating, or that's how I would define it. Is that how you would define it, Sarah? Yeah, I think so. I think there's almost a bit of like a misconception about meditation, that it's all about having a blank mind. You know, we think of people sitting there and they're thinking about nothing and um, people almost feel like they can't try meditating because they can't get their mind blank, but that's not really what it's about. It's more about just kind of learning how to calm your mind a little bit, I guess. Yeah. And I'm certainly not an expert, but I can say it has helped me with that. Yeah. So that, so that, you know, we're, we're trying to, I agree with that. We're trying to sort of be aware of the thoughts that come into our minds and, you know, so, so it's just sort of creating a mindfulness about being present, being sort of here and now, um, and being aware of what our thoughts are, how they're making us feel. So, so that, you know, because often with it, without meditation, I mean, I know for me, I go from being sort of real awake and sort of being active and, and kind of running around and being really busy my mind's sort of going all over the place to then going to sleep you know and and wanting to go to sleep and meditation is is trying to kind of find a balance between both that we can actually be conscious and and awake and aware but we're just kind of calming our thoughts and our bodies down so that's the sort of goal of it and then how meditation helps us when we're not actually meditating is that we can access that sort of calm presence when we're doing our daily activities so that we we become a bit more calmer and a bit more settled when we are going about our normal lives and i and i think 
when we experience perhaps something that makes us feel, makes us have an emotional reaction, we can access that, well, okay, I'm just going to take a minute to try to calm myself down here and try to bring myself and regulate myself down to a bit more balanced sort of state. Yeah, I think that's, it's a, it's a really a great strategy and it's something that we can, you know, kind of put in our back pocket. And if you're struggling with, with your mental health and you're not feeling like someone who wants to go to therapy, maybe that's something that, you know, you can just sort of dabble in to give you one, one strategy to deal with stress and anxiety. So I think we're reaching the end of our interview here, but just before we wrap up, I would like three things that we do and that we would suggest people do just to kind of help take care of your mental health, maybe at the end of a long day when you're feeling really stressed. You know, what are three things that you do when you get home to just kind of chill out a little bit? Um, What do I do at the end of the day? Well, I certainly, for me, coming at the end of the day, I, I want a little bit of uh, quietness. Sometimes I take a bath. Sometimes I watch, I'm very particularly about what Netflix shows I watch. So I really would try to watch something that's kind of humorous and a bit light. Um, and I hang out with my dogs. I have two dogs. And so I usually walk my dogs for a little bit, get some fresh air, um, watch a little bit of Netflix, have some quietness and a bath. I think that's four things. So, But that's what I typically do at the end of the day to sort of bring myself down and try to be grateful for, even though I might have had a tough day or I'm handling stuff. I try to be grateful for the, the great things in my life. That's great. Mine are kind of similar to, to all of yours, but I, I just like to do things at the end of the day that make me feel like I'm taking time just to care about myself a little bit and um, to take care about myself. So when I like to, you know, maybe go to the gym or go, go to play in a sports league or just do something that's physically active, I find that always makes me feel a bit more, um, my brain a bit more clear and I feel more positive at the end of that. Um, two, the other thing I like to do is make myself a really big meal um, or something really healthy. You know, I enjoy cooking, so it makes me feel like I'm, I'm you know, taking time to take care of myself and um, put good things into my body. And it's also just a nice moment to sort of turn your brain off a little bit and think about something else at the end of the day. And then same as you, Allison, of course, number three is play with my dog. He always makes me feel better. <laughs> there you go. Those are all really, really good things that I think everybody should start to incorporate in their regular routines. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for being here. It's been really insightful to hear you talk about mental health and the relationship between mental health and alopecia. And I think it's going to be, I hope it's going to be really helpful for anyone listening. If you're dealing with struggles with your mental health for alopecia, um, just know that, you know, there's, there are people available to talk to you and um, to talk with you. And, you know, honestly, reach out to the Alopecia Project. We're more than happy to chat with you and, and uh, give you some support and uh, be, be someone who kind of knows what you're going through. Thanks so much to everyone for listening, and a big thanks to Allison for taking the time to speak with us today. We want to hear from you, our listeners. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at The Alopecia Project, or send us an email at thealopeciapodcast at gmail.com. Catch you next time.